Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. All right, James chapter 3, are you there? Yes, the whole seven of you that brought your Bibles. Glorious. Glorious. We are in week three on the book of James. If you have not been here, the first week we hit James 1, count it all joy. Count it all joy when you face various trials of different kinds because you know that in it God is producing patience, endurance, steadfastness. It's a beautiful thing. Week two, last week we kind of hit one of the more touchy places in Scripture, faith and works. James begins to talk about how faith without works is simply dead. We understand that we are not saved by our works added to our faith, but our faith is characterized by our works. If you, do, if you have not heard those, this is kind of fresh, hot off the press. We are uh, launching a student ministries podcast. So we're going to have a podcast where our weekly messages will be uploaded. You can find those at newlifechurch.org. Keep your fingers crossed. Um, I don't know if they're going to be like on the podcast at Victor. Will they be? TBD. TBD. Okay. You can go back and listen to those messages. James 3 tonight, we're going to talk about how God transforms. Everyone say God transforms. We're going to talk about the power of the tongue tonight. Power of the tongue. Here we go. James 3, starting in verse 1, it says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We love you. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. And you have spoken through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that your word is clear. Your word is sufficient. 
Your word is enough. Your word is powerful. And it is living and it is active. So Lord, would you come here tonight and would your words bring dead things to life? Would your word give us ears to hear? Would you make us new? Would you refine us into the image of Christ tonight? Would you show us what it means that you are a God who transforms? As always, Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. You would give us eyes to see, minds to understand, and a heart to believe. And if you're with me tonight, say amen. Amen. This is going to be a fun one. The tongue. Everyone say the tongue. I did some interesting research on the tongue this past week. And I found some interesting things. You want to know what I found? I found that the average person is not really talking about the really shy and quiet or the really loud and obnoxious, but the average person spends roughly a fifth of their life talking. Fifth of their life talking. So, for all my math wizards in here, if you live to be roughly 100 years old, that means you spent 20 years of your life talking. This is not including texting, writing emails, or writing. This is simply talking, talking. They found that on average, okay, the average person in a single day says enough to fill a 50-page book. 50-page book. Now, this is where things kind of get a little fun, and I don't know how accurate this is. I found three studies that roughly supported the same thing. They said... That men, on average, speak about six to eight thousand words a day. Six to eight thousand words a day. And women, <laughs> women speak on average about twenty to twenty-one thousand words a day. So if we bring in the average man and the average woman. The lady speaks about three times as much as the man does in a given day. Now here's the thing. As a husband, I know this to be true. I know this to be true. If you know my wife, when she wakes up in the morning, she is ready to talk. And she wants to, she wants to talk about everything. She talk about the weather. She wants to talk about her feelings. She wants to talk about my feelings. You know, like... <laughs> She wants to talk about everything. I come home from work and she wants to talk about my day. She wants to talk about her day. She wants to talk about tomorrow. She wants to talk about yesterday. She wants to talk about her family's day. Like she, she likes to talk. And here's the thing. Men, we don't like to talk as much. But the reality is like we don't like to listen as much either. <laughs> we don't like to listen as much either. You know, so it's like, <laughs> it's like one of those things where you go like, what? That's just an insane statistic. So, so they said, okay, look, look, like, like men and women apart, like, like let's put the averages together. The average human being speaks enough that they could fill one 50-page book. Or if you take it in context, in one year, the average human being speaks enough to where they could fill 132 books that each have 200 pages apiece. 
Like, yeah. So I'm like curious if you take like, like how many books a female could do versus like how many, like, like as far as like books, we're probably like talking children's books for men. And we're talking like Webster's Dictionary. I don't know. Matthew Henry's commentary on the New Testament for like women, right? Like this is, and, and, and so here's my conclusion. At the end of all my study, what I found is we like to talk. Really? Like we like to talk. We like to speak. We like to utilize our words. We use our words to engage in relationships. We use our words to express our need. We use our words to express our praise, our excitement, our mourning, our sadness. We use our words. That's a powerful thing. It's no small thing. And James is getting at something here. When he begins to go after this passage, you, you kind of begin to feel it initially when you read this, like, just like last week, that, that rising in the soul of like, like, okay, what do I need to do to change? Because I know I got probably, like we probably have like 125 students in here right now, and I'm guessing about 100 of you are going, oh boy, <laughs> my mouth can be filthy. I can speak a lot of terrible things. And, you, and, and just to be clear, let me premise this right out the gate. I'm not just talking about cussing, okay? I'm not just talking about saying foul words. I'm talking about the manner in which you speak. How often you gossip about the people at your school, the people you can't stand. How often you disrespect people with your words and with your mouth. Like we, we, we like to speak. But I want to I reiterate to you the goal of James in this book. The goal of James is not behavior modification. It's life transformation. And that's not just the goal of James. That's the goal of the gospel. That's the Christian message. It's not behavior modification. Tonight is not about how do we fix your tongue. Tonight is not about how do we get you to cuss less. Tonight is not how, how do I get you to gossip less. Tonight is not how do I get you to disrespect less. You with me? I'm not here to change your behavior. I want you to find life in Christ. I want your life to be transformed by the blood of Jesus. And this is what James is going after here. So at, at first glance, it's kind of easy to go, okay, he must be, like he's talking about, okay, how, how am I supposed to change the way I speak to people? How do I change my language, the way that I engage with people? Because obviously I know I'm a really sarcastic person, disrespectful person, angry person, and my words reflect all of those things. It's not what I'm here to talk about tonight. That's going to be a part of things, but it's not what we're here to talk about tonight. Are you with me? The goal of James, the goal of the gospel it's not behavior modification, it's life transformation. But James is beginning to pick up on something here that he started in James 1, verse 19. James 1, 19, can we put this up? He says this, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. This is not the message of culture, is it? Quick to hear, slow to speak. Quick to hear, slow to speak. We're not very good at this. 
Husbands, for sure, are not very good at this. We're people who like to listen to respond, don't we? Listen for the sake of response. If you don't know that now, you'll know it for sure when you're married. You're supposed to laugh right there. <laughs> like, I'm telling you. Like, you, you, know, you, you know you're this type of person. And, 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 and it'll indicate in your marriage how you're going to argue with your spouse by the way you argue with your siblings right now. Yeah. God's got some sanctifying work to do in this place, right? Like, like you sit there and your sister just starts going off. Your sister starts going off and you're sitting there listening to respond. Listening to respond. And I'm telling you, as a pastor and as somebody who like reads the Bible all the time, in my sin, I do this to my wife all the time. She says something and immediately my mind's like, oh. I can't wait till she stops talking so I can completely debunk that statement. Oh, tell her how theologically inaccurate she is. Like, I, sweetheart, I'm so sorry. This is a great time to apologize. <laughs> like, we, we, we love to listen to respond. Like, you look at our nation right now. We're about to enter into, like, election season. And seniors, four years ago, like you were coming out of eighth grade, going into your senior year, like freshman, you were like in fifth grade at this time. I don't know if you remember, like our last election season between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump was one of the worst and most divisive seasons that I've ever seen in our nation's history. And you, like we're, we're supposed to be like this very civilized first world nation. And we do these like, we do, they do these like debates they do these debates where it's like they kind of bring both candidates in, you know, and it's like, hey, let's, let's have this out. And as, as, as you step into college, or if you don't know already, you're going to learn what we call like fallacies, okay? And when you watch these debates, you see the ad hominem fallacy like on display to the T. And what that means is instead of people ad addressing an argument, they just attack the other person. They just attack the other person. It's like, it's like, oh, you made a good point. Well, yeah, but you were, you know, you broke the law four years ago. So even if you're right, you're an idiot. <laughs> right? Like, but this is what we do. We listen to respond. It's like, I want to hear what you have to say so I can tell you why you're wrong. I want to listen to what you have to say so I can tell you why I'm right. And we love to do this. We love to be quick to speak and slow to listen. And we have James going, no, 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 no. To follow Jesus means you're quick to listen. You're quick to hear. You're listening to understand versus listening to respond. Are you with me tonight? Listening to understand versus listening to respond. This is what it means to be the people of God. And so he's, look, he, look, he starts here in James 1.19 by saying, look, brothers, look, you, sh you should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Understand why, why, why is it that, that, that our lives are riddled with talk? Why is it that our lives are riddled with words? And I, I don't think it should be any surprise to us. We have a God who creates out of his words. We have a God who gives life out of his words. We have a God who brings light to darkness out of his words. That's who created us. Like it's a gift. We get to talk. We get to use language to engage with one another. 
So it's no surprise here that James is wanting to, to harp and get into an area of, a lot, area of our lives that we're going to spend a fifth of our lives doing. You're going to spend a fifth of your life talking. Probably more if you're a girl in here. Right? And so we, we have to ask this question, okay, what is he, what is he doing? He says, he says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. And then what he begins to do in, in threes, he begins to, to enter into the narrative of Scripture that we see in the Old Testament in the New Testament on what the Bible has to say about the tongue. He begins to, to enter into to what Scripture begins to say about the tongue all throughout Scripture. I'm going to give you five verses. Five verses of Old Testament and New Testament of what Scripture has to say about the, the tongue. First, Matthew 15, 11 says this. Jesus is speaking and he says, Is it not, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. So he's not, he, he's sitting there going, look, you, you don't need to worry about like bacon making you a nasty person. You need to worry about the words that are coming out of your mouth. That's going to be what defiles you. Colossians 4, 6, the apostle Paul, he says this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt can I ask you a question is that what defines is that is that what, is that what you would use to define the words that come out of your mouth to the people you dislike are your words gracious are they seasoned with salt I love this we're going to go to Proverbs here where we get some beautiful imagery Proverbs 15, 4, it says this, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverse, perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Those who use the tongue in the way God intended it to be provides nourishment for people, healing for people, shade for people, life for people, care for people. But a perverse tongue crushes a spirit, crushes a spirit. Are you beginning to see the weight in your words? Beginning to see the weight in your words. Proverbs 12, no, no, not 12, 15, 15, 4. No, no, 12, 18, I was right. Woo. There is one whose rash words are like, a, are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. What the, what the, the author is saying here is that your, your words have the ability to do two things. Either wound people or heal people. And trust me when I say we're, we're people that are really good at wounding others. Those who we really, really love and those who we really can't stand. He's saying, look, your words have the ability to be like a sword to someone's flesh that cuts them down, breaks them, wounds them, maims them. Or the words of the wise bring healing. You can bring comfort to one's soul. And finally, and this is the kicker, Proverbs 18, 21, death and life. Everyone say death and life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. 
death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We see this in our culture and history all the time, right? People who utilize their words to bring about death or life. Death or life. You look at cause for suicide rates in any city across the nation, across the world, and one of the skyrocketing reasons for why someone will go to the point of taking their life is because of the wicked and evil words somebody spoke over them. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Why? Because your words have the power of death in life. You look at every movement in human history, whether it be American or world, and I promise at, 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 the, at the front of every great movement that you will see, you will see a phenomenal communicator who had the ability to influence thousands if not millions with their words. This, uh, this last week and I had the privilege, and it was a genuine privilege, of going to watch Turning Points, Dance and Theater Company's musical, The Newsies. Do I have... Come on now. Now we have a couple. Is there Olivia Baker, Ashton Sands, all them in? Okay, yeah. All right. So we, we have a couple of the students in here that were in this production. And it was awesome. How many of you in here have ever seen the Newsies before? Oh, wow. More of you than I thought. This is an old Disney-like Broadway musical. Old Disney Broadway musical. And I'm going to give you kind of like the preface of this story. So it kinda, it's kind of it's placed in the time frame of like the 1890s. Okay, where you have child labor at its absolute peak, especially in the city of New York. Okay, where it's like it's, it's absolutely abrupt. You got, you got children working in sweatshops. You got children working in meat factories. You got children working on assembly lines. Like it's terrible. Okay, and so what we have in this movie is a bunch of like orphan boys or boys who are, who are in the workforce because their parents are out of it and they need to work selling newspapers and they got like these New York accents and they sing and they dance and do backflips. It's really cool. You should watch it sometime. Okay. What ends up happening in this movie is Pulitzer or the guy who owns the, the, the newspaper company, he's, he's frustrated with his sales profits being too low. So he makes a decision to raise the cost of the newspapers by a tenth of a cent, not to his customers, but on the wholesale price to his newsies. And so in this moment, the, the, these newsies wake up and they go to get their papes. That's what they call it. And I'm glad Victor enjoyed that. Okay. They go, to, they go to get their papes in the morning. They find the price has been jacked up. And so they say, hold on. We need to go on strike. And so you got a, you got a bunch of orphan boys kind of in confusion. And in this Broadway musical, you kind of got like this forerunning leader. His name is Jack Kelly. That's such a cool name. Babe, maybe we should name our son that, Jack Kelly Shepherd. I don't know, right? Like, one day, we're not pregnant, just to be clear. <laughs> okay? Yeah, so you got Jack Kelly. Here's the thing. This, this guy isn't very educated. We don't know much about this dude. We don't know much about his family history. He doesn't have any parents. He's an orphan on the streets. But we know he's like the best-selling newsie in New York. So everybody kind of looks to him as to what decision they're going to make. And so he's sitting there going, no, like we can't let him get away with this. Like we need to go on strike. And so you kind of got all of them are like, what? Yeah, like, like what, what, what is going on? And he's got his friend Dave who's like the brains. 
It was saying, okay, look, this is what we need to do. And so you got Jack Kelly who's like getting on a wagon and he's giving this speech. And it's his words that's influencing like the mass of these news is to say, yeah, let's go on strike. Let's form a union. And I'm going to suggest to you like that this is, this is not far off from what we see throughout human history. We have people who know how to utilize words that bring about life or death. We utilize our words to influence and motivate and energize and inspire people. Or use them to tear them down, devalue them, and degrade them. Two, two histo- historic leaders we could look at are one Martin Luther King Jr., one who like led the profound civil rights movement here in America where it's like, like we would not be where we are today had it not been for his efforts and his boldness to speak out. But you, you can take that same premise and we can look at Hitler who used his words to nearly annihilate an entire people group. There is death and there is life. In your words. And the reason why I'm starting out this way is because I want you to realize the weight of the things that you say. Realize the weight of the things that you say. And this is why James in chapter 3 starts out with a warning. He starts out with a warning to teachers. And he says, look, not many of you should assume to be teachers. Every time I listen to this verse, the weight of what I do rests upon my shoulders. Realizing that to stand in front of you every Wednesday and to proclaim God's word is no small thing. No small thing. And there's there's two things James is wanting you to pick up here. Two things he's wanting you to pick, pick up here. The first is that you need to be careful what you say to people. Be careful what you say to people. As a teacher, as somebody with influence, if you're a captain on your team, whether it's a varsity sport or whatever, if you're a senior in here and you're leading your team, he's saying, look, you've got to be careful with what you say to people. Your words carry life and death. They have the ability to wound or they have the ability to heal. They have the ability to build up or tear down. You've got to be careful what you say to people. And the second thing is you need to be careful to who you listen to. Be careful to who you listen to. Hear me. That includes me. Be careful who you listen to. Those who you take your time and incline your ear towards have the ability to either speak life over you or death over you. So he starts out with this warning to teachers and he says, look, not many of you should assume to be teachers because we are going to be judged more strictly. And then he gives three illustrations for the tongue. Three illustrations for the tongue. And I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read them. Um, yeah, I'm going to read them. The first one is in verse, verse 2. Everyone look at verse 2. It says this. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So the first illustration he gives us is, is this idea of bits in a horse's mouth. Bits in a horse's mouth. Now when I first read this, and I'm going to be totally honest with you, like up until this point in my life <laughs> reading this, I always thought that was like giving like a horse like a sugar cube, like a dog treat. It's like I can tell a horse to do whatever he wants by like putting a dog treat. 
I was very humbled this week. And like, oh dear goodness, Lord, I have preached this incorrectly. This is why you say teachers should be like slow. <laughs> so not, not quick, not quick to be teachers. No, no. So what he's talking about here is the metal rod that goes across a horse's mouth when you put like the reins on. All of you are like, duh. <laughs> Humor me, okay? Humor me, okay? And it fascinates me. Like my sister, when she was in junior high, she used to like competitively like ride horses. She did like the whole like jumping over rails and going around barrels. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, like she, it, but th this is what dumbfounds me about this is that you can put a 60-year-old, 60-year-old, 60-pound junior high girl. Oh, dear goodness, I need the grace of the Lord tonight. A 60-pound junior high girl on a 900-pound animal. And she can control that. I'm, that's hard. It's hard to rally at this point. I can't stand horses at all. Just while I have the moment, okay? A fact about your pastor. I have, a, I have a deathly fear of riding a horse. Deathly fear of riding a horse. I've been on a horse like twice in my life. The second time the horse was like kind of irritated and like kind of hopped up and I jumped off. I said, nope, not for me, never again. My wife to this day, almost married five years, she has begged me to take her horseback riding for a date. And I've said like, not no, but heck no. Okay, I say, I will be Paul Blart riding a Segway next to you on that horse before I hop on a horse myself. I do not trust these animals. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful creation of the Lord, no doubt. Like, hey, you want to get on your noble steed, you get on your noble steed, okay? But I will not, by God's grace, I will not ride a horse, Okay. But we get this first illustration from James of, look, something so small has the ability to determine and control this 900-pound animal. And then he gives us this second illustration. Second illustration coming from verse 4 through 5a. Verse 4 through 5a, he says this. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts in great things. So the next image he gives us is this picture of a rudder. You, you can see that through, through every illustration, he's making the significance of the tongue more weighty. So at first it's a bit in a horse's mouth, and now all of a sudden it's the rudder of a ship. And he goes, look, look at these, look at these large vessels that are going across the sea, and they're driven by the winds, and there's so much power but it's directed simply by a small piece on the bottom of the ship. And it goes wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also you need to realize that your tongue has the ability to boast in amazing things. And then he, he shifts gears here to a, to a small fire, a small spark that has the ability to, to light a fire in a forest. I felt like Rogue One right there, like talking about a rebellion beginning. <laughs> We're the spark that'll start the winter, okay? Like, so he, he, he uses, and if like, if you've lived here in Colorado for at least like 10 years, you know like the destruction of something like this. Whether it was like the Waldo Canyon fire or the Black Forest fire, you know like the ability of something so small and what seems so insignificant has the ability to bring about so much death and so much destruction. 
And then, he, then James gets a little like comedic on us here. He goes, look, like you can, you can tame any bird of the air, beast of the field, or any reptile or creature in the sea, but you can't tame the tongue. It's like, yeah, you can tame that snake and finding Nemo, but you can't tame the tongue. It's like, what? What? Like, James, what, what are you talking about? And he goes, no, like you need to realize. You need to realize the weight of your words. Everyone say the weight of my words. I understand that I've probably like lost you for the rest of the night, but bear with me. Bear with me. Understand the weight of, so he gives these three illustrations. Oh, I need the Father's grace tonight. Come on. I believe in me too. Gives these three illustrations. I want to be clear with what James is saying here. This is where it's supposed to get really serious and I don't know how to rally. <laughs> what James is saying here, and listen to me, is not that if you can control your tongue, you'll take care of all the other struggles in your life. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, to tame the tongue is to take you to the epicenter of your life where everything else goes wrong. Let me say that again. He's not saying that in controlling your tongue, you're going to take care of all the other struggles in your life. He's saying that by taming the tongue, it takes you to the epicenter of everything that goes wrong in your life. And that place is the heart. Everyone say the heart. This is a big deal. Big deal, the heart. Luke 6.45. Jesus' words, this is what he says. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the what? Come on. Out of the abundance of the what? Heart. heart. His mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of his heart, the mouth speaks. So if we're going to follow this logically, what drives your mouth is your heart. And we need to understand this evening then what drives our heart? And I'm going to suggest to you tonight that it's your identity. What drives your mouth is your heart. And what drives your heart is your identity. What drives your mouth is your heart. And what drives your heart is your identity. So this is what I'm wanting to, to go after tonight. This is why tonight's not about behavior modification. If you have a foul tongue, if what you are speaking is death and it is not life, the problem's not with your tongue, the problem is with your heart. And if there's a problem with your heart, it means that there's a problem with where you identify yourself. Are you with me this evening? This is a big deal. Because when we take on a false identity, we inerrantly give ourselves a void that cannot be filled by anything. Can I, we give ourselves a void that cannot be filled by anything. And not only that, we begin to look at people for their false identity and we see them for the void that they are in our lives. So what ends up happening is instead of being first a son of God, a daughter of God, a follower of Jesus, your identity is known or it's accredited to your athletic ability. Your identity is attached to your intelligence. Your identity is attached to your parents' wealth. Your identity is attached to your skill or your talent. Your identity is attached to 
your relationships. And so what happens when any of those things don't meet the void that we do have in our souls, the only product can be a bitter heart. And a bitter heart will always produce bitter words. Are you with me? A bitter heart will always produce bitter words. So the question tonight is not, Lord, how do I change my mouth? How do I change the things that I'm saying? I know that it's filthy and I know it's not right. The question tonight needs to be, Lord, I need to check my heart. And you need to start in the place of, Father, who do you say that I am? Because here's the thing, when, when my identity starts with, with I'm a son of God, a follower of Jesus, and then under that, I am the son of John and Kim Shepherd. Then under that, I am the husband of Mariah Gray Shepherd. That's such a cute name. Sorry, gotta say it. Like, and one day, I'll, uh, by God's grace, I'll be the father of X Y Z, right? And and I'm the student ministry pastor of New Life Church. And I'm a, I'm a biblical and theological studies major as a college student. I'm Vietnamese in my blood, right? And these, these are kind of become all the things. And, and then I was a tennis player in high school. And I, I'm, a, I'm a public speaker or public communicator next. And all of a sudden, like, all of these identity things, which are, which are totally fine. They're part of who I am. But they are not who I am. Are you with me? They're part of who I am, but they are not who I am. And the second, the second one of those things comes before me being a son of the most high God. I have a void in my soul that nothing's going to be able to fill. But I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. And then this is what happens. When I can't fill that void, I'm unsatisfied. And when I'm unsatisfied, my heart becomes bitter. And when my heart becomes bitter, I lash out at my wife. I speak death. I wound, I hurt, I tear down, I don't build up. You see, the, you see the pattern? The mouth is driven by the heart. Your heart is driven by your identity. But when your identity is found in Christ, as Pastor Andrew was saying earlier, he always satisfies. There's no void. So when I look at my wife and my wife isn't living up to par, with the person I think she needs to be, I have the freedom not to lash out at her. Why? Because I see her from the place that God sees her. My identity is in the right place. And when my identity is in the right place, I have the ability to see people for who God sees them to be. So then I do not degrade, defame, belittle one who is made in the image of God. Are you with me? What drives the mouth is the heart. What drives the heart is your identity. The question you need to be asking this evening is, who do I say that I am? What is the primary reality that defines your life? Is it your skill? Is it your talent? Is it your looks? Is it your sport? Is it the plan that you have for your life? 
And I'm suggesting to you tonight, you got to put all of that at the foot of the cross and let who you are before God come first. Who you are before God comes first. The mouth is driven by the heart. The heart is driven by identity. And brothers and sisters, this is where the gospel enters into our story. This is where the gospel enters into our story. You know, a lot of people, when you think of the gospel and I were to say, hey, can you tell it to me? You'd tell me a story. You'd say, yeah, it was kind of like, like we were all broken and we were all sinful and God sent his son, John three sixteen. you know the whole thing. He came and he died and he rose again. So those who believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You'd be like, yeah, that's the gospel. It's like, like you've missed it. You've missed it. It's so much more than just a simple story in your life. It's your story. It's your story. And it's the reality that when you follow Jesus, look at me. When you follow Jesus, what, it, what, what the New Testament writers mean when you are in Christ means that when God from his heavenly throne looks at your life, the only thing he can see is the righteousness of his son. When I'll have young men come forward for prayer and they're asking for help about something, I'll usually start with a question like this. Can you tell me something? What do you think God thinks about you? What do you think God thinks about you? Go ahead and bow your heads for me. What do you think God thinks about you? What do you think God thinks? What, what words do you think he would use to describe you? What words do you think he'd use to describe you? Sarcastic? Annoying? A spaz? A bitter person? An angry person? An immature person? What words do you think God uses to describe you? Are you hearing him say, it's good that you exist, that you are lovable, that you have nothing left to prove, you're good enough, you're free, you're perfect, you're holy. Is that what he sounds like? Does he sound angry? Does he sound frustrated? Keep your heads bowed. What the gospel means, what the gospel means is that to follow Jesus and to be in Christ means that the words God would use to describe Jesus are the words that he uses to describe you. Did you hear that? So let me change the question for you to make it more simple. 
What words do you think God would use to define Jesus? What words do you think God would use to define his son? Holy, holy, spotless, perfect, blameless, strong, faithful, beautiful, courageous, Proved his favorite. It's not hard. It's not hard to sit here and go, yeah, no, no, that's, that's what God would say about Jesus. But yet it's hard to receive this the way he sees us in Christ. That's why I'm telling you tonight, the gospel is good news for you. It's good news for you. Jesus did not come to simply change your words. He came to change your identity. He came to give you a new heart. A new heart. One that could only and ever be satisfied by God himself. He came so that you could have life and life to the absolute fullest. That doesn't mean skydiving and expensive vacations. It means walking with Jesus for the rest of your days. It means falling in love with Jesus for the rest of your days. It means seeing God more beautifully than you see him right now. He came to give you new identity. He came to give you a new heart. So the question you need to be wrestling with is not, are my words filthy or are they clean? Are they bringing life or are they bringing death? You need to realize that though your words have the power to bring life and death, your words indicate to you whether your soul is alive or it's dead. And the invitation of Jesus this evening is come. Let me satisfy your soul. Before you're a soccer player, before you're a beautiful girl or a beautiful boy, before you're a boyfriend and a girlfriend, before you are a son or daughter to your parents, a brother or sister to your siblings, before you're any of it, you need to see tonight that you're a child of God. You're a child of God. And brothers and sisters, only from that place can we speak life. Only from that place can we genuinely let our words bring healing instead of wounds. Only from that place do we build up as opposed to tear down. Spirit, would you come right now? I believe that you're renewing 
identity here in this place this evening. You give life. You give life. Lord, and it's life that we need. So I pray it would be said of us that we'd reach out and take hold of it. Take hold of it. Would you break down tonight what needs to be broken down? And would you rebuild in its place life with you? Life with you. Life with you. Can you stand with me? Callie, can you put the prayer of confession up on the screen? I want to corporately pray this together. And we're going to head back into a moment with the band briefly. And then we're going to do something a little bit different. It's going to feel a little awkward, but it'll be okay. I want to say this word together. Confess this together. Because I believe it's a beautiful posture of the heart when we talk about our identity. It can be easy right now for you to riddle yourself with like guilt and shame and condemnation. And the work of the Spirit is to bring life and freedom. So can you say this with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved our neighbors, our whole heart, sorry. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Jesus, would you come? Would you come? Would you give us life? Life tonight. Would you transform our identity tonight to make us to look and believe that we are in you. We are in you. Let's take a couple moments. Best you can, if you need to find a space in the room to get by yourself, if you want to stay where you are, that's fine. But just lock in with the Father. Lock in with the Father. Let Him speak truth over you. Let Him speak His thoughts over you. Let His Spirit fill you. Come, Holy Spirit. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.